Hello everybody and welcome to the Aberdeen Vinyl Records podcast. That's right, we're in Aberdeen, we sell vinyl records and this is our shop's podcast. It's been so good to be back on Union Street after a few years away when we were down at Aberdeen Market. You may remember us selling records there. Loved the market, it was great for us. But it's great to be back on Union Street. We're there at 103 Union Street, right between McDonald's and Nero's. So if you're thirsty or if you're hungry, you can go and get these things there. But if it's your soul that needs nurtured, you know where to come. The aim of our podcast is to give vinyl record fans a little bit extra. Maybe some news or some uh, information or some history even behind the making of records, how records are recorded, how they're made, how they're distributed, how they're sold. But also to give you maybe a little bit of insight from people who are, like you, vinyl fanatics, music fans. So on our shows we'll have people who have been musicians in famous bands, we'll have people who are comedians, we have people who are comic book writers. All things they have in common is they're linked to our shop. Either we, we kind of know them or they've been in the shop or they just happen to be guys who've played on records that are in our shops for sale. Yeah, so we've got a whole bunch of variety of sources of information, sources of entertainment. And the one thing we all have in common is none of us take ourselves too seriously here. Everybody's having a good time. And the reason they come on this show is to share a bit of their love of music, their passion for creativity. And these are things I think that everybody in the vinyl records market understand. Being a bit of a creative hub is something that we're very proud of because everybody's creative. And that's what we want you to feel when you come into our shop. We want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel that you're coming in and having a wee look at all the things that inspire you. And that's that's basically how we get our job satisfaction, by providing your soul with everything it needs. So the very first guests on the Aberdeen Vinyl Records podcast are guests in a but they're actually members of a band who you may or may not have heard of, but you may well have heard of some of the people that they've opened up for or have had the support of them. Now Lee, just remind me, who was it these guys opened up for in the past? Oh, nobody will have heard of them. There was a, a metal band, I think it was, was it? They were made out of lead. Led Zeppelin? Oh, I've heard, heard of, of them. them. Yeah. I've heard of them, yeah. I think they're very, you know... Uh, I don't know what you call it, reggae band or something? Really? Not a clue, I'm not familiar with them. And then oh. another guy, some guy called uh, Floyd. I think he was Pink. Oh, his first name was Pink, wasn't that's, it? Uh, aye, aye, aye. So, I mean, they've opened up for those two. So, they've opened Nothing up for Nothing special. <laughs> yeah, so you might have heard of the bands that these guys have opened for. But more importantly than that, as their career developed and they became recording superstars, they then were supported themselves by bands that you will know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give us a couple of clues again. Tease us again, Lee. Well, it wasn't the king, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, at one point, Queen and Queen were genuinely lucky to be supporting and opening for them. And also Genesis, who were supporting this band. And in fact, Genesis did go on to support them to such an extent where one of the members wanted to leave the band and join this one. I think I've heard this story. Who was that? Would it by any chance be the drummer? It, it would be. So the drummer of Genesis has to become the drummer of this band. Yeah, exactly that. In simplest terms, they told them, knit. I'm very glad that we actually concur with that decision because we love Genuine. the drummer. Yeah. We love the drummer of, of, of that band, absolutely. So that's great. So they've supported Led Zeppelin, supported Pink Floyd, been supported by Queen, and been supported by Genesis. Had one of the bands of Genesis tried to join them and be brought back. Yeah. And uh, I think, if I remember correctly as well, there's a very famous American band 
seen you younger viewers won't have uh, heard of them. They're called The Doors. And their singer sadly passed away. They shared a record label, The Doors, in this band in America. They were both released by the same company. Electra label, of course. And the remaining members of the band, led by Ray Montserrat, wanted this guy to actually replace the late great Jim Morrison. Another fine member of the 27 Club. Yeah, what a tragic history that is. Absolutely. But at the same time, it's very good that they died because now we can sell their records. <laughs> Scumbag. So without further ado, or maybe just a little bit of ado, we're going to tell you the names of these guys. Now, over to Lee here because Lee's going to introduce the bassist and the co-writer of the band. The bassist and co-writer is Trevor Williams. And Lee, would you tell me who is the other guy we have from this famous band in our studio today? Absolutely. You've got the lead singer, guitarist, another cool writer, Howard Worth. And many of you will know the name Howard Worth, of course, and many of you will know the name Trevor Williams. And for those of you that also know the names Keith Gemmell and Tony Connor, you'll be well aware that together they were the infamous Golden Era British art rock band Audience. But enough from us. Let's just relax and enjoy. Whilst we listen to what Trevor and Howard have to say. Hiya. Hello, sir. Hello there. How are you? All right, thank you. Excellent. Good. Nice to meet you. I'm I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. And I'm Lee. You, I spoke to you earlier. Hello, Lee. Hi. You're good. <laughs> so, how are you keeping? I'm well enough, thank you very much. Good. Good. Very good. Are you still? Do you still play? Um. For fun and therapy, fun and therapy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't particularly do. I haven't done a gig for oh, a good few years. Five years, four or five years, maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, what I do occasionally is just sit in with um, uh, a few people I know got bands. You know, working pub bands and stuff like that. And from yeah. time to, they're mostly blues based, so they can call you up and just shout what key it is, and off you go. You know. Perfect. Uh, that's fine, but uh, I don't fancy ever getting involved in extensive rehearsing again. <laughs> <laughs> You've got that T-shirt. Uh, yes, I have, and uh, it's worn out. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, one of the other things we might touch on today is talking about records, vinyl records, and you know, obviously, uh, in your day and certainly in my day, records was the thing more than anything. Oh, yeah. we'd, we'd never heard of downloads or anything like that. So um, no, I, I can't cope with those. No, it's strange, isn't it? I, I find it very difficult. Um, even at home when we've got, you can get anything you want on downloads, but we still just go to the record player because it feels a different experience, picking out the sleeve, putting it on the record player, hearing it yeah. back. Well, also, I mean, when you go back to my day, <laughs> um, uh, me and George Formby, as we were talking about earlier, <laughs> we, we, um, we tended to produce stuff which um, we gave a lot of thought to the running order. Yeah. Um, and and what fitted and what didn't fit, you know, so what tracks you could include and what tracks are best left off because they just didn't quite gel. And um, so the whole point of putting an album together was uh, presenting somebody with a completed thing. Yeah. Yeah, so you're presenting people with a, a completed piece. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's supposed that's how we anticipated people would listen to it. Okay, you might jump tracks because you didn't particularly like with a little help from my friends, the rest of Sergeant Pepper was fine. Yeah. But um, you, uh, but the idea was giving you something, you know, as opposed to just bits. And when Absolutely. you just download a single track um, and it has no relevance to 
Well, you don't know what relevance it has to the rest of the album. That's yeah. right. So it seems to me there's something missing there, but maybe that's not wanted anymore. Yeah, that's, I, mean, no, that's, I think there's a lot of people who do want to, and certainly in our, in our uh, world, in our record shop, that's exactly why people like records. There is a place for them to work sort of hand in hand together, I think. Yeah. Um, for example, like yeah, yeah, your, your downloads or your streaming, I think it's absolutely fantastic for maybe even without any risk or without any cost. Hi, Howard, we see that you're in with us as well. You all right? Can you hear us? Yes, indeedy. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. So you can't see us and you can't see Trevor, but we've got Bob, uh, myself. I can't even even see myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, depending on what kind of day you're having, that might be a good thing. (laughs) I think I might be be a vampire. I can't see myself in the mirror either. (laughs) (laughs) I I can see you perfectly, Howard. <laughs> oh right! You are a green, you're a green circle with a white telephone in the middle. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. You suggested he's lacking in personality, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but as I was just saying, like uh, to go hand in hand. So, for for example, streaming I think is maybe a risk-free way of of finding music or finding new artists or sort of justifying. Actually, I'll give that a quick listen and see if I'm interested. Now, if it's something you're interested or yeah. passionate about then you can bite the bullet and sort of invest upon the vinyl, you know? Yeah, I think you might consider it as a modern-day sampler. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Exactly that. Well, guys, listen, it's great to meet you both. Uh, this is Bob speaking. Um, uh, we've got the record shop in Aberdeen. and uh, Is that Bob spelled, is that, is that Bob spelled backwards? Uh, it might it. be. It might be. Well, that's a secret code you've cracked. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I told you he was a sharp one, eh? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it might well be. Uh, but we wanted to let you know, um, uh, wanted to introduce you um, to our listeners. Um, and basically, we wanted to tell them why we were so anxious to get you guys on the on the podcast. And um, we buy... Uh-huh. We buy collections of records for our record shop. That's part of the part of what we do. Without records being bought in uh, from collections, we don't uh-huh. have nothing to sell. So one time we bought the, this this collection of records, and there's a whole bunch of stuff we've never heard of. We figure we're pretty well versed, but we'd never heard of it. And there was Led Zeppelin, there was Pink Floyd, there was there was even Juicy Lucy. There was bands like that, um, Atomic Rooster. Uh, the Juicy Lucy albums worth quite a lot of money, actually. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right, that's right. So, but with you, it was a good collection. And then we saw this record with a great cover on it, and we didn't know whether the band was called House in the Hill or whether that was the record. But we thought, well, well, let's stick this on. This looks great. So we stuck it on, and it just utterly blew us away from the minute we had the first track all the way through to this, the end of the LP, we said, we're going to have to play that again. Yeah. So we did. We played it again and again and again, <laughs> and, again. and again. And it just became like an earworm. We couldn't function. It was almost like your morning coffee. You couldn't function until you had yeah. it. You know? Yeah, totally. And um, it was three of us in the shop. And Ali himself, Ali's from, uh, uh, Ali's from the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan. But even he was saying, don't sell that record, Bob. Don't sell that record. <laughs> So we, we I didn't realise we were, I didn't realise we were big in Afghanistan. <laughs> well, well, you might not have been, but you will be now. You will be now, <laughs> definitely. But, uh, but basically, we played that record all the time, and with so many people coming in saying, "What's that record?" We said, mm-hmm. "Well, this is," and they asked to buy it. We said, "No, we're not selling it, not at all." 
and, and Lee actually, Lee said to me, Bob, I've got something to ask you. I said, what is it? He said, um, I'm going to have to buy that record. I said, I'm sorry, we can't, we just can't it's let it go. It's got to stay in the store. So Lee actually bought it online. <laughs> I had to go and bloody buy it, find it, source it out on some website and then buy it there. I'm like, I'm bloody working at a record right. shop and you've got it in stock and I can't, I get it. <laughs> And we even had somebody coming yeah. into the shop saying to us, um, uh, that record that you keep playing, you're still, I was here two months ago, and you're still playing the same record. We said, well, we played the odd one in between, but basically you're going to hear this record in our shop. He said, yeah, yeah, I've researched it now. And I actually bought it myself because I found out what it was and bought it. And said that we're spreading the words, guys. We're spreading the word. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So that's, so that's why we were so desperate to get you guys on the, the first of our podcasts. So there you go. It kind of all started right. as a bit of a joke. We were like, well, these, you know, effectively, your that album coming in, if that album never came into the shop that day, that I can guarantee you there'd be no podcast, this conversation wouldn't be happening, and the next year's worth of podcasts wouldn't be booked up and wouldn't be happening. None of this would happen if it wasn't so It's all your, your fault, guys. Hi. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I didn't get <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll pass you over to Lee I've, I've basically introduced myself and, and thanks for, for listening to that and I'll pass you over to Lee now and he's got a couple of things he'd like to ask you if that's okay uh, yeah well obviously you know we're very grateful very delighted and honoured to have you guys here um, just for all of the people that listen that, that maybe aren't quite as familiar we just want to let everybody know that today we are speaking to a couple of chaps who opened up for the likes of Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd um, at some point even turned down a certain Phil Collins to be their drummer, potentially. Um, one of them has even been hunted down and hounded to replace Jim Morrison in The Doors. Uh, and obviously, gratefully to us, um, at the peak of the golden era, they wrote their masterpiece album, which to us, which is so dear to us, uh, The House on the Hill, which is the sole reason for all of this happening today and moving forward. So the two chaps that we've got with us today is Howard Worth and Trevor Williams, Howard being the guitarist and uh, singer. And then we've got... Um, uh, sorry, Trevor, who was the bassist, vocalist, and I believe one of the main writers for all of the this juicy stuff that we've got. So, we, guys, we welcome. Sorry, I say we both uh, were connected. We both wrote most of it, I suppose. Both together, yeah, Great yeah. Stuff. yeah. Great stuff. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. So, welcome and thanks for joining us, guys. Welcome. Pleasure. Honored. Well, no, that's definitely on us. That's definitely on us. I mean, obviously, we'll get to some some of the tasty, juicy bits maybe a little bit later. But but first of all, obviously, none of it would have happened if you guys never got together. And um, when did you guys meet? How did you meet? And what spurred you on to become a band? What made you think, you know, let let let's do this, guys? Um, we and this, we met once did tube station. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> This could all be a blag. Right man, opposite yeah. where I used to live. Yeah. yeah. Really? What were you busking? What, and then took, what, and then yeah. took you to the uh, rehearsal place? Oh, yeah, took me for a long for an audition. Ah, oh. oh, there you go. What year was that, guys? Uh, just before the war. Before the old <laughs> thing, guys. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, about February 68. Okay. Okay. Right. Interested. Yeah. So really, all of it came together quite quickly. 
Uh, that wasn't audience. That was the soul band uh, that was in existence already. I ah. I was auditioning for you. Yes. I see, of course, of course. That was the Lloyd Alexander Blues Band, which became Lloyd Alexander Real Estate. Yeah, there's so many questions about that. I don't even know if I can ask them. <laughs> <laughs> What's the real estate part all about? That was so confusing. I actually thought when you I was know, looking was... into that that it was a real estate company. They were, they were always. Yeah, there. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it could never sell anything. It was like. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in actual fact, it was it was Keith who came up with real estate. I don't know why, or but I remember him suggesting it, and the other said, "Yeah, all right," and it stuck. Oh. Well, that's confusing because uh, Keith seems like a bit of a it, genius it, as well. So uh... <laughs> I don't know where I don't know where it came from. It, uh-huh. it, it just stuck, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So when did you become <laughs> when did you become audience? A year later. A year later, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sixty died. Tell, tell, um, tell us about that. There was plotting. Uh, there was plotting for about six weeks beforehand. Um, and uh, that's right. Yes. Uh, hidden assignations in in a Wanstead pub in uh-huh. the corner, uh, unlit with Keith and uh, Howard and myself, um, with this idea right. that Howard had for for leaving a band with a electric acoustic. Um, maybe no drummer at the time. We weren't quite sure what we were going to do. Yeah, it, it was going to have a slight bossed over. Was going to be one part of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Goodness knows where that came or went. I don't know. Yeah, so it's a cross between Ozzy Osbourne and uh, Stan Getz, I suppose. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. Fair show, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ozzy, Ozzy Getz. Yeah. Aussie gets. Yeah. Maybe the Aussie gets banned. There's definitely a sprinkle of yeah. the band in, in some of the songs, eh? Earlier on, especially. And when it comes to. Yeah, things, indeed. And uh, your first Carry gigs, on. where was the audience first ever gig? That would have been that marquee one, wouldn't it? That's, oh, uh, that's right. That was, a more, that was a marquee audition night. Actually. Yeah. And uh, I remember. The, we 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 did the audition with Gilbert and George, you know the artists. And I remember that us being outside the back of our van, that old van, and uh, these two gentlemen dressed in tweed, with metallic gold faces and hands, asking us where the where the entrance of our key was. And that was our first introduction to Gilbert and George. No way. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. And that was that. Their their set consisted of one of them, uh, both of them seated, uh, and one of them with his chin on his head, and the other one telling strange stories about dwarves. <laughs> and and uh, that was their. Uh, and then we we later did a gig with them at the uh, at the Lyceum, I believe. Yeah. Wow. Now, a couple that of was the beginning of their career. Jobs. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. They be, I mean, they've become international artists ever since then. You know, yeah, you yeah, see yeah. them in galleries all around the world. Yeah. Wow, wow. And um, you guys, uh, Lee was telling me that you guys opened up for Led Zeppelin. Yeah, that was we a bit did of, indeed. That, yeah, that was a, that was a bit of a turning point, really. I think for us because uh, yeah, we um, uh, I mean, playing that that was at the Lyceum, and playing at the Lyceum was a big deal anyway. Yeah, yeah. Playing at the Marquee was like playing at. Uh, a decade before at the Two Eyes Coffee Bar or halfway through the last decade at the Cavern. They're all important gigs and then in themselves they were important. But yeah. um, opening up for Led Zeppelin, I think we 
We somehow made a, a bit of a mark because um, when you open for a big band and they're all waiting for the big band, uh, the small band doesn't usually get an encore, and we did. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And we were also offered a, a, um, a contract with Charisma Records from that night. Wow, so that's how you so that began on, our... on that label, yeah? Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because we'd, we'd already made one album for Polydor at that point. Um, but then Charisma um, actually bought our contract from Polydor. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that's quite unusual back in the day, isn't it? Yes, it is, actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I, th- I think all parties were quite pleased with that in a way, because I don't think Polydor really understood yeah. where we were coming from. We weren't happy with Polydor's no. promotion. And uh, and we were no. all, all along been looking to join one of the the up and coming young independents and uh, and charisma was just about the best one you could have hoped for. So that's that's yeah. interesting because charisma is one of the labels a lot of people collect in our record shop. Um, yeah. And so you guys, what uh, why what do you think charisma saw in you guys? I saw um, brilliance and perfection. <laughs> <laughs> and, and obviously looks. Oh, definitely the looks. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Our, our sort of, you know, our model looks. I think we just <laughs> we, we just their, sure. <laughs> we, we fitted into their ethic, I think, which was about sort of um, uh, something different. Um, you know, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't go for standard stuff at all. They always went for something different. Uh, sometimes mistakenly, but most yeah. very often quite rightly as well they, they they hit the nail on the head um and i think we were quite, we were just quirky enough for them good did you guys have yeah. that album written so friends friends friend that's uh, uh did you have that written when you went to charisma is that what you went to the um, probably probably uh, we had a few of the tracks written um but i don't remember exactly how many but it was it was already getting there I'll tell yeah. you why I asked. Uh, they, we would have worked most of that on stage before we went there. Yeah, ah. yeah. The reason yeah. I ask is, is because you obviously mentioned your, was it Polydor, maybe not quite that keen or invested, but you can definitely see off of the back of, so your first album with Charisma and then your second one, which is The House on the Hill. All of a sudden you yes. can see a, a record label that really did try they threw everything at you um you know they got hypnosis in to do the cover which again maybe a little bit interesting because howard i believe you used to design covers uh for, for albums so it's quite interesting well, yeah, well i got i got heavily involved with that cover because it, it was based on my really? vision of trevor's trevor's lyrics uh-huh and i worked with with hypnosis on it in fact that i had to get them to to actually shoot it for a second time because oh, they, they did it and they had a wrong aspect of it at the beginning they had the the models were in the wrong poses and we're not we're not playing the uh, the, the parts that were actually uh in trevor's writing okay so they redid it they redid it and um and i designed the lettering uh and we took it from there so i, was, I got quite heavily involved with that one Okay. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. 
So yeah, again, just go go back to my point. Obviously, you know, the, the first album maybe maybe a bit more of a solo project, and um, just seeing that the change going to the Charisma label seems that you got a lot more support. As I say, getting hypnosis in, um, and Robert Kirby, uh, Gus Dudgeon. Uh, there's there's a couple of names. Well, yeah, well, it was yeah. Well, it was Gus Dudgeon that got Robert Kirby involved. Uh huh. Okay. Um, and the funny thing for me, I often think of, is that Gus and uh, Storm Thorgerson of uh, Hypnosis yeah. were both both went to Sun uh, Sun Hill or Sunning Hill School, a free school. Yeah, I don't know if you heard of that at all. It rings a bell, yeah. Yeah, so they were, they were both students from there, which was quite unusual. It was a very free school. I'd always wanted to go to as a kid. Uh, but didn't. But that. But it's funny that they were both ended up being involved uh, in the creative process of that album. Yeah, very good. I was going to ask you about. <laughs> um, uh, I think Lee was saying to me that uh, you met Brian May, uh, who's heavily involved in animal uh, welfare issues. That's Trevor. Yes. Oh, beg your pardon, Trevor. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm getting Lee's research wrong here. I'm making it up as I go along. Um, but yeah, is, is, is uh, and he was saying something along the lines of that they opened for Queen opened for you guys. They, they did. That was yes. Like, yeah. Okay. I mean, both Queen and America were on that same bill supporting us. Wow. Uh, neither of yeah. them. That was a, a marquee once again. Yeah. yeah. It was. Yeah. Always a always a prestigious and, and well worthwhile gig to do. Um, funny thing was, I, I spoke to Brian about four or five years ago, I think, because. I'm involved in running a wildlife uh, hospital, and he's a patient of another wildlife hospital, which is uh, distant allies to us. And um, uh, he he didn't he, he knew my name, but he didn't know the association at all. And I happened to mention to him that uh, we had met before when his when Queen was supporting us at the Marquee, and he remembered that. Um, he remembered it and said, "Oh yeah, yeah." He says that was an important gig for us because everybody wanted to play the Marquee. And uh, uh, at the time, they weren't anybody. They hadn't uh, they hadn't done anything. Um, so that gig has, has remained in his memory as an important one. Wow. Um, as one of the ones yes, that it, it made them, yeah? Or broke well, them through, at least. Uh-huh. Kick-started. Yeah. Yeah, if, yeah. if they've mentioned it, it's been mentioned in a couple of books that it was a turning point for them. Wow. That support gig. Yeah. Wow. Uh, wow. That's wow. really cool, guys. So, what was your? What did you think the the best venue to play was back in then? Back in the day. Oh, well, probably probably the Marquee, which we played a lot, and yeah. uh, well, we played a lot of different gigs around the country, and, and uh, but there was places like Mothers in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they almost anywhere. Like stages, I suppose in the early stages, we were playing mostly small clubs and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the marquee was the king of those. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. Later, of course, we were doing tours um, and doing sort of city halls um, uh, and the equivalent yes. of the and places like that. So yeah. that was another. Yeah. That was a different kind of. Um, that was a different kind of perspective. Uh, yeah. so we, yes. Uh, we never lost hold of the clubs, though. We were going back to the clubs all the time. Did you find that the audiences in the yeah. clubs were? You were closer to them; they were more immediate because of the size of the venues. Yeah, I liked them. I like the sweatiness. <laughs> yeah. There's some good images of you on yeah. your fan page sweating away on a yeah. stage. Yeah, yeah. You, 
You fact, it's a lot easier to kick them when they're that close. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Fantastic. So, so then you guys went to, you ended up going to America. Yeah, Indeed, yes, that? That, was, that was a big tour. That was fun and frolics, yeah. You got any uh, cheeky stories that you might have about any of that then? Something we might not have heard before. Well, it was, uh, we were touring with Rod Stewart and the Faces and, um, and Cactus. Um, uh, we didn't really overlap with them very much. I mean, we did, yeah. we, we did, I think we, it was only one occasion where we were with, uh, with the Faces and Stewart. Um, I don't think we hit it off particularly well with Cactus um, on, the, on account of uh, yeah. the drummer, Carmine Apici. Uh, didn't much like the fact that we were going down rather well as bottom of the bill and they were going down less well as the middle of the bill. Yeah. And um, so he started to take, um, to wage war on Tony Connor's drum kit and the road is responsible. Really? Wow. And, and, and trying to get him to move yeah. out place to a less important place. Until <laughs> our, our um, mono-eyed, piratical-looking heavyweight roadie <laughs> Rodge, spelled N H O J, John backwards. Yes. Took Carmine to oh, suggest he might um, uh, not want to discuss this anymore, and Carmine didn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> I love it. Oh, there's there, there are a few funny stories involving the the, the roadies at that time. I remember we had, there were three roadies on our European tour, including Nodge and two others from. Um, Newcastle area, yes. and uh, Tony Strat Smith's description of them was um, right. Two of them had one lung each, right, <laughs> and none had notch, notch had one eye. He said, between the three of them, he said, they've got four lungs, five eyes, and no brains. Brilliant. <laughs> 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 So, did you guys have some uh, good fun? Did you just have some bad fun? Did you just, did you just get involved? I mean, look, let, let's face it, that golden era was dripping and drenched in drug, sex, rock and roll. Which which was your vice at the time? A little bit of all? Either? Both oh, or none? Mine uh, was more uh, sex, drugs and, rocks and sausage rolls. <laughs> 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 that was about as far as it went, really. Yeah, we, never, we, never quite, we never quite got into that whole kind of... Um, no. Uh, I, I mean, I could barely afford a TV, let alone throw one out the hotel window. We were on a straight retainer for most of our time, and uh, uh, yeah. we weren't wealthy by any means. I'm not mm. wealthy now by any means. No. Um, uh, and I always find it rather interesting how I brought this up some years ago, and I hadn't spotted that... Um, Whilst we weren't entirely clean and shiny, we didn't sort of go in for the drugs and drink in the same sort of uh, levels as a lot of bands did. Yeah. And interestingly, our very first single, Belladonna Moonshine, backed by yeah. the big spell, backed by the big spell, um, is a double-sided anti-drugs or an, an anti-drink um, uh, record. <laughs> So, anti right. records. Yeah, one was that. One was that. Yeah. Uh, Belladonna moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the damage that alcohol could do, and on the other side, it was that. So yeah. we were we were pretty yeah. properly. And it all went and it all went downhill from then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah from a, from a pristine start to like debauchery following. No, not really. 
Very <laughs> lightweight debauchery. I blame that last yeah. night, Newcastle Brown and the fact that there were too many Newcastle bands on Charisma. <laughs> it's funny because right. listening to Belladonna Moonshine, you're almost selling the fact that people, well, I, I got it. I, I sort of felt that it was familiar with somebody that I knew who performs better when he's not sober. And basically it's somebody right. that, I'm not going to mention the names, he's a raging alcoholic. And and it was a couple of years right. ago, we were we had a Christmas together and he was like, oh, just just two more drinks and I think I'm going to drive home. And we're, whoa, 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 what? Two more drinks and you're going to drive? But like two more, two, 20 drinks ago, you couldn't drive at all. He's like, oh, 20 drinks ago. I, I wouldn't have been able to drive. Now, uh, yeah, I should be fine now. But if I have another one or two, I'll be absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. And is, there's genuinely yeah, yeah. people out there that have such an alcoholic addiction. Yeah. They yeah. will perform yeah. better. And that's what I took from it. So I didn't realise it was an anti-booze song altogether. <laughs> Which I think is brilliant. The poor man dies. And- <laughs> Mind you, I mean, drink driving is one thing, but I mean, you know, this was a, this was a, a drunken banjo player, and you don't get much worse than that. <laughs> no, you're right. But again, I suppose it's the steadying of the yeah. hand. You know, yeah. an alcoholic might wake up in the morning, maybe with the shakes on, a couple of drinks, and he could be twiggling out a tune, no problem. <laughs> yeah, but I think his shakes, he used them to his advantage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was saying, might have worked it, for George it like a choir, <laughs> it, it sings like a choir, and his strings would catch fire That's from it. his homebrew better than the moonshine. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Pretty good guy in the tambourine. <laughs> Shaking so away. I wonder if we could ask you about um, uh, the, the Doors and Electra trying to get uh, a replacement for Jim Morrison at one time. Uh-huh. Yes, indeedy. Can I ask you about that now? Yes, indeed. Tell us what you know. What would you like to know? <laughs> um, Tell us your version of the story. I mean, it just, I mean, it well, sounds... They, they, well, it, it, it all occurred after audience split. And I was st- carrying on doing solo stuff for Charisma. Yeah. And uh, Jack Holtzman of Electra contacted uh, Strat Smith to see see about me. And he, he didn't tell me because I just started doing the solo stuff for him. So I didn't find out until... I think Gus told me, and uh, they—I don't know how we got, got in contact, but they came over here to sort of try try me out, and a couple of other people as well. And um, Ray Manzarek, I think his wife was pregnant, and and he didn't want to go on with it. I spent a couple of days with them rehearsing and stuff. He, he decided he didn't want to go on with doors. So he went home to his wife, who was just expecting. And then, um, so it didn't happen. Uh, and then I, after I moved to LA in 77, I bumped into him in the local supermarket. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, at the foot of the, uh, uh, of the, uh, the Hollywood Hills, below the, where the big sign is. And got recontacted with him and, and then went up to his house and, and played some demos I'd done with some people over there. And he loved them and wanted to, wanted to get involved, started producing me and wanted to manage me, in fact. Him and Danny Sugarman, who wrote the, the, the definitive Doors book, you know, No One Gets Out of Here Alive. Yeah. Yeah. So I spent quite some time in... in uh, um, I spent 
quite a lot of time with him socially and we went in the studio together. Um, in fact, at the studio I went into initially to um, uh, record some demos of songs that later went on to the Six of One album, which I recorded when I came back from America. Um, it was the same place where I'd been working with some of the Captain Beefheart band yeah. um, a year or two before, and I... I heard that they were actually in the studio, the same studio I was going into. And um, so I thought I'd, I'd go and have a look at the studio again. And if I was, if it's possible, I'd go and bump into Drumbo, who I knew very well. And as I pulled up in the car park, Captain Beefheart came out onto the loading circuit, but you know, the landing bit, and uh, looked over to me and said, Here are you. In his, in his best um, howling wolf voice, <laughs> to, yeah. to which I sarcastic, sarcastically answered, "I'm very well, thank you. How are you?" <laughs> he, he really didn't like that. He came trotting down, and we had a nose-to-nose confrontation, uh, and then he trotted off, and he was slagging off um, Mark Boston, the. the Beef, uh, you know, the uh, magic band bass player who wasn't with him at that time. And I was defending him because he was another nice bloke from the, that I'd worked with a couple of years ago on this weird project we did together. And um, it wasn't until last week, actually, I'm in contact with Trombo quite a lot. And it wasn't until last week that he said, like, it, was, it was at one time, but he explained that, uh, I mean, because he'd read a lot about Captain Beefheart and how Badly, they were all treated by him and everything. And what nutcase he was! And he said he was actually he'd actually told Trumbo that he'd been diagnosed as um, paranoid schizophrenic. And it all made complete sense to me. That's what it was all about. He was a nutter, wow. without a doubt. Wow! Despite wow. his fame and his people, you know, people, you know, you know, his stuff was very interesting, nonetheless. Yeah. 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 Uh, but that, that's a little side issue. But anyway, I went in there the next week and worked with Ray, and uh, we came up with a few good tracks from that. But where could we hear these tracks that you did with Ray? Right. Well, all I've got is the. I mean, I've got uh, the, the ones I did with Ray are are on tape somewhere, but the actual finished versions, which I recorded over here, with with Will Birch producing for. Um, my label Metabot, which I did with um, uh, Jake Riviera, uh, who, you know, who had label with um, Elvis Costello. He he brought me back to do some recording, and I I used those tracks to as a template. So the Six of One album is where those tracks are. Wow. Yeah, that's worth worth seeking out. Okay, definitely worth seeking out. Aye, but does that yeah. mean I've got to fork out one thousand one hundred and ninety-six pounds for that album? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah at L- least. Literally, <laughs> literally, it's on Amazon for that. Yeah. I mean, you got to think. You got to think of my royalty as well. On top of that, you don't get any of that. <laughs> you've you've had yours. Do you know? Very interestingly, oh, there's a CD. Howard and the Moonbeam CD is available on Amazon. That's a CD, right. let me just reiterate, £196 yes. 
for a second hand CD. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's a con. It's a con. Someone's trying it on. Don't give me that. You would sell it, really, isn't it? But, but we're talking. I've got, I've got loads. I've got a garage. <laughs> <for the field. laughs> Love it. Fantastic. Fantastic. So when it comes to collecting things, guys, because that's that's one of the things about our record shop is uh, we could tell you all sorts of weird, wonderful stories about the lengths people go to to collect certain things. I'll mention no names, but. Right. Those listening will know who you are. Yes. <laughs> but um, <laughs> one, one of the things I thought about you guys, both of you, um, uh, Trevor, what was the first record you ever bought? The Ventures Perfidia. Oh, what wow, a great choice. That was a quick answer. You did well, not have a, to think about that. Yeah. Well, I was a budding lead guitarist. I started out playing lead guitar, but I, I kind of, uh, I could cope with that stuff in the shadows, but... Um, uh, I started to hear people like Roy Buchanan and James Burton and, uh, and, and the early Jeff Beck, and I just thought, I think I ought to be a bass player. I could see there was a limit to that. But, yeah, I mean, the Ventures, the Ventures were a very, very good band. They were great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you listen they were to great, stuff, yes. I mean, uh, so much of uh, their early stuff is twin guitars. You yeah. know, people yeah. think Wish yeah. and Ash has been the first twin guitar band. They were. Um, they were just amazing. Yeah, walk, walk don't run. The other one yeah. of theirs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great, great. Yeah. But I was, uh, I was very much a Dwayne Eddy uh, ventures uh, kind of uh, person at that sort of stage. But when the when the bendy strings came in, then uh, you know, I, I thought I'd downsize the four strings. It seemed safer. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favourite bass player then? Oh, Ooh. there must be a good few of those for different reasons. Um, Ah, well, Jack Bruce would have to be in there. Andy Fraser would have yes, to be in there. Yes, indeed. Quite different reasons. Yeah. Um, oh, dear. It's so hard, that is. There are so many very, very good ones. Jacko? Pistorius. Uh, Jacko Pistorius? Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I saw whether reporting constantly. He's different again, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was absolutely amazing. But um, on the other hand, um, ran out of taste at times. <laughs> So I don't really lean towards jazz bass playing very much. Sure. Well, I like a lot of jazz. Uh-huh. jazz bass players. Trevor, yeah. I believe you were a big fan of the coasters. Oh, we both were. Who? So oh, am I. Yeah, oh, so both of you. Yeah. No, yeah, talking we about my first ever record, my first ever record was Young Blood by the Coasters. Oh, oh man. Wow. Okay, there you go. Yeah. On yeah. the button. On the button. Yeah, my my first <laughs> record would have been, uh, um, oh, uh, Charlie Brown. Oh yeah. All oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, so many good ones from there. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and before they were the Coasters, they were the Robins, and you know, yeah, uh, yeah. right. Number nine. It's yeah. Amazing. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, well, Lee was also telling me that um, uh, there's there's two records in our shop that we can't sell. One is yours. And the other one is a compilation by the Isley Brothers. It's just both of them. Oh, right? again, early, early interest for me. And the thing about yeah. it was, Isley Brothers. what interested me here was the fact that our shop has got full of spooky coincidences. Uh-huh. And one of them was, that's the two records we can't sell. We've been asked to, people have thrown money at us. We said, no, we yeah, can't. We're, yeah, we're keeping these those. for all time. And at least said, do you know, the Isley Brothers was one of the people that got um, 
was it was it Trevor was got back into music? I, 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 Trevor, well, I spoke to you earlier, Trevor, and you mentioned something about. Uh, well, actually, you you tell the story, sort of falling out, and what made you sort of fall back in love with a style well, of music? Yeah, well, I, I wasn't I wasn't so into the Isley Brothers in their early uh, in their early days. Uh, they were just another soul band, and I wasn't that sort of. Uh, I was never that big about soul any in general, but um, I, I kind of went off soul when we, you know, put everything towards the prog rock side the, or, or, and everything that everything that wasn't soul in effect. Yeah, I, I think I think you're talking about that middle period because their early period they weren't really soul. No, they were a whole uh, different setup. Yeah. I think the thing is that's, yeah. that was their strength is they went through several different guises. They evolved and, uh, with yeah. the sound. Uh, where, where I was talking to you about was um, when I got back into soul, yeah. uh, one of the things that got me back into soul music was 3 plus 3. That's uh, the one, yeah. With Ernie Usley coming in playing like Jimi Hendrix. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I just adored that album, and I still do. I still think it's Yeah, so yeah. So they, got, they were one of the instigators for me to sort of go back in and think, you hey, know, there's a lot more to soul than I remembered. Yeah. Uh, well, I went yeah. back and yeah. started listening to a lot more 60s soul than I had been. Well, really? since you mentioned that, and, and we keep talking about coincidences, and, and again, sort of that the podcast and certain records, specifically the two that were refused to sell, and all of these things that link and connect. Since having the conversation with you, I've kind of maybe linked something else, right? So number one, we're talking to you guys pretty much in the year of your 50th anniversary of the, the masterpiece House on the Hill, okay? So we're talking about 71. So if we look at that album that we're talking about by the Isley Brothers, that was released in 71. Seventy-one, uh, um, and also, obviously a magic year. <laughs> well, you you know you say that, but it gets it gets a little bit more. You just mentioned Jimi Hendrix, and you mentioned three plus three, but obviously Jimi Hendrix was in yeah. the Isley Brothers. Yeah, he was um, later on. Yes, yeah, and not only that, but. Trevor, I'm sure you can maybe even link your main inspiration for how you wrote or where the inspiration came from, The House on the Hill. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Can we link something else to this? Yeah, we can. Um, House on the Hill is a bit older than audience. I mean, how yep. rewrote uh, uh, the, the basic tune of it and we revamped the verses to some degree with, with Lloyd Alexander Real Estate before audience. We took it on from from Lloyd Alexander, but it had been written uh, back in late 66 for a, um, uh, a band I had called The Beautiful Garden Shed, believe it or not. You won't find <laughs> any records by then. <laughs> Quite right, too. And it was, uh, effectively, it was, I didn't realise till later, but effectively, that sort of um, bass line in there, the dum 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 that was a direct nick from Foxy Lady by Jimi Hendrix. Wow. And it still underpinned our house on the hill all the way through its life. Yeah. So wow, that's amazing. That's <laughs> quite a few connections. I've got one final one. One final one. Uh, Ernie Eiley is married to Candy Eiley. I don't know if either of you are familiar. Um, but anyway, so 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 Ernie Eiley is the main guy. He's the singer of the Eisley Brothers and, and the main guy who's still been there from start to finish. And his wife, Candy Eiley. I never touched her. 
<laughs> well, Trevor, you I'll, see that. Blood test. But we might have to ask for evidence. And I'm going to tell you why, mate. Oh, no. He did what? something that you guys did, or you guys did something that she did. So here's the final connection. Where are you going with this, Lee? <laughs> I know it was at a different time, but you said that you toured with Rod Stewart. Yeah. Uh-huh. So does Candy Eiley. All right. So we've got Ernie well, she, Eiley. Is she a, she a backing singer with him or something? Yeah, yeah, she's she's on several albums. She's a backing singer for him. And, and oh, Eddie right. married her, obviously, a young, young yeah. lovely bit of stuff. But so we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven links connected. The only two records that we ever refused to sell <laughs> to you guys, to the two records and the, the two artists directly, which really <laughs> impossible. Like, you couldn't write this. You couldn't make this up. Can I add another thing about the Isley Brothers? Oh, of please course. do, um, please do. I, I, I was first listening to them in the late 50s. Yeah. And one track in particular always stayed with me, along with several others, actually. But it was called Respectable. And I'd always wanted to record it, and which I did. It became a single I did on, on when I came back from America. Yeah. It was the first single I did. Um, respectable. Uh, and it, it, it's quite quite poppy the way I did it, but uh, yeah, that stayed with me from the late fifties. There we are. So yeah, basically, I, I you've covered an Isley Brothers song. Yes, I've, I've, I've recorded it and released incredible. it as a single. What can we say? I mean, seriously, yeah. Say? seriously, yeah. yeah, amazing. That's brilliant. And that we... was really early. That was pre their soul time, their soul era. Wow. I mean, Bob's not going to bore you with 6,000 stories of all the coincidences that have happened over the years. And some of them, when we tell people, they, they are, you know, you get that empty look as if, yeah, yeah, what story are you going to make up next? Well, we know they're true. And again, if we didn't have your backing and some of the insight that we got from you guys today, no, there's no way any would believe all of these connections to just two yeah. albums we yeah. didn't. Yeah. I mean, this is phenomenal oh, for us to learn this today. It's incredible, incredible stuff. Absolutely. Well, um, <laughs> one of the features of the podcast is what we we do we do bore you with we do bore each guest with one one spooky story from our shop, just for our listeners who mostly know these stories. But it's interesting to hear the reaction of of others. Uh, you remember a band called um, uh, American? Well, called Guess Who? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Oh uh, yes. Yes. I, I didn't even. In fact, know. we met one of them, didn't we? Oh, oh, here we go. oh my God! Uh, <laughs> on the circle. Yeah, we met them, and actually, he had a he, he had a recording studio in um, where was it? Halifax, I think, in Canada. And he offered to give us free studio time to do another album. Fantastic! Absolutely. Uh, fantastic. No way. Wasn't well, that the guy who was uh, supporting us in um, Winnipeg? Yeah. Did indeed. Uh, yeah, he supported nice us. Nice bloke. First tour never... back in uh, Winnipeg in 2006, five. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, the story we had was this, um, we had two doors to our shop and people come in to buy records and they come in to sell records. And a, a little old lady came in with two big Asda bags full of LPs. And uh, uh-huh. but she wasn't quite in the shop yet. And another gentleman came in the first door. And he came running in and he said, um, I've got, I've just seen your sign outside. Do you guys, it's a long shot, don't worry if you don't have it, but do you have a record by, uh, by uh, Guess Who? And it's called American Woman. Yeah. I, said, I said, oh, yeah. I said, uh, do, you mean, do you mean the who? Because I hadn't heard of Guess Who. 
I said, do you mean the hoodie? Because no, no, no. It's, it's guess who, American woman. I said, I'm really sorry we don't have that. And he went, he says, no problem at all. He went out the door, back out into the rain. And in the other door came this little lady with the, the two bags. I've got some records to sell for you. It's my son's collection. I said, okay, great. Let's have a look. The first records we pulled out that bag was American woman, guess who? And when, did you run after the bloke? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely ran after him, but he couldn't find him anywhere. It was almost like a ghost had come and, and asked. They couldn't find him anywhere. But, uh, I've got it. It's 500 quid. I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the value of well, that. That's I think he might have paid up. for it. He might have paid that. But, but um, <laughs> it's just uh, that's amazing. That's the same riff as uh, a whole, uh, whole lot of love, Led Zeppelin, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Oh, oh right, my yeah. goodness. American woman. That's right, yeah. Oh, man. So there we are. That's how I got to know Guess Who. I'd never heard of them before that. But, but there you are. So that's, you're lucky we're letting you off lightly. That's the only one we're doing. Well, um, let's see. I've got another question, because obviously we'd love to hear just something about some of the other big names. Can uh, I think it's Howard, I believe, that might have been uh, part of the conversation. Who and how gently or not gently to just turn down Phil Collins because Phil Collins wanted I'll to be well, you know, never get anything. you'll never come to anything get out of here <laughs> <laughs> I mean can you just give us just a couple of it, how did that was, even come about because Genesis well, was, opened up for in, you yes yeah, several times um, but uh, i so he was sitting by the bar in the ship in Water Street, just up the road from the marquee. And I was, I went in there, and it was at the time when Peter Gabriel was sort of deciding to leave the band, and they were a little bit in disarray, and we weren't quite sure what they were going to be doing next. And he just asked me, "Do you want a, you know, do you want a drummer?" And uh, I think we were perfectly satisfied with, with Tony Connor at the time, who I still rate quite highly as a drummer. Yeah, he, yeah. he's been with. He's been with hot chocolate for years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it wasn't even on the cards, to be honest. It was just a question he asked that um, I couldn't be. Uh, you know, it was that was it. That was about the size of it, really. <laughs> <laughs> Still interesting because they were on the, the Charisma label, weren't they, Genesis? Yeah. They were indeed. Yes. In fact, they signed uh, a little while because remember they came to us and asked. They came into the marquee to ask us all questions about managers, managers, because we had a manager at the time that we wouldn't recommend to anybody, and we didn't recommend it to them either, <laughs> um, which was probably good for them. Um, so yeah, they were around, and they 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 uh, they geeked with us, supported us a few times. Sure, sure. In fact, I knew I knew another chap that grew up next door to Peter Gabriel. In uh, where was it? Oh, Kent somewhere. And he used to tell me about it from when he was little. He used to he used to, he used to make a lot of hats, apparently. <laughs> and um, their parents swapped houses. <laughs> but that's all I can tell you about that. <laughs> oh no, there's something dodgy going. Was there a tunnel underneath connecting the two houses? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> bedroom yeah. to bedroom, maybe. Full of hat. Full of homemade hats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really near right about that, guys. <laughs> so, when you like, when you guys look back, um, if I can answer one one after another, if you like, um, you may have the same answer. Uh, Trevor, what song 
if there is a song that you're most proud what's the song you're most proud of oh phew, i've never really thought about that um or what song do you think feels do you feel like defines the audience's side if you said well the audience is if i if i've got five seven minutes to justify it, listen to this one song what song would you tell people to listen to uh, I would probably have to say House on the Hill, but uh, then then I'd have to say yeah, uh, You're Not Smiling, which is a bit of a downer because I didn't write that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as, I, I don't know, as far as my own writing is concerned as a lyricist, um, then I liked writing little short stories, which Howard has referred to as cartoons in the past. Yeah, yeah. Probably quite a good terminology for them. Um, they're... Uh, they're just little tales, and I think things like Belladonna Moonshine is one uh, that I'm proud of. And another, that is one of my favourite lyrics from anybody, to be honest. I, that's really? Perfect. All right. Perfectly formed lyric. Yeah. And, and I guess another one is Nazi, which I, I again I really like. Yes. Although it's got one verse yeah. that it doesn't really need. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> other than that, it's, it's those little tales that had a beginning and then Barracuda Dan, Trombone Gulch. Trombone Gulch, yeah. Trombone Gulch, yeah. Very good. Interesting. It's always very interesting. And the, the, when it comes to the creative process, what when you were writing a song, what tended to get you going? Was it a case you had to sit down and write a song or did something just occur to you? Because you definitely have like a certain style, don't you, across the board? A lot of it came, the way, way we tended to write together was often that Harold would throw me a couple of lines or a riff or something like that. Yeah. And, and I'd go away, I'd write down dots and dashes and then I'd go away um, and uh, stay up most of the night writing the lyric and then bring it back and, and, and Harold would, would uh, um, re- rephrase some of it according to the way he sang because I got too many words in the line or something like that. So it was a kind of a... We hardly ever sat down and wrote together. In fact, I think the only time we, I can ever recall doing that was um, was during that US trip where we finished off, I think, Barracuda Down and Trom... No, we finished on Trombone Gulch, I think, and maybe one or two other things. Um, but other than right. that, uh, other than that, we, we, we uh, kind of gave one another templates and went off and uh, completed them alone and came back with them and joined them up together. Yeah, that's a great process. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right, actually. Yeah. And if it comes to you, Howard, what, what song would you choose? Well, I think the one that sort of has had the most effect on people um, is I Had a Dream. Ah, that's one of my absolute like that, but a lot of others. Yeah. yeah. But I also love Trombone Gulch and, and uh, Better on the Moonshine lyrically as much as anything else. Yeah. And also Nancy. Nancy, yeah, we didn't yeah. used to play it live, we didn't think we'd be able to, but, but we actually started doing it and it really worked well when we yeah. reformed. Fantastic. Um, and I love playing that, actually. Nancy. What about, yeah. what about Ravioli then? I mean, Ravioli is a bit of a... It's a great tune. It's, it's an incredible tune, like, you know, it's it's so out of the box as well in comparison to the other stuff you do. You're, you're quite uh-huh. quite jam-banned yeah. at times. You, you definitely use all of each other's strengths. And then you've just got... In, in fact, yeah. that's a, it's another thing that's consistent with all of your albums. You've always got one real solid instrumental sort of slap bang into the middle of each album. And I don't know if that was deliberate, but... Yeah, it's true. Thought yeah. Yeah. about ravioli was robert kirby involved in that at all or is that solely after the event i mean i, I recorded the basic 
guitar track, and then that was given to him to actually do a um, string strings for it. Mm-hmm. And he always said that. Uh, now, what was he said about it? He said, he said the tune at one point reminded him of "Yes, My Darling" or what? <laughs> Yes, my darling daughter. (laughs) So he he wrapped it around that, I suppose. I don't know. (laughs) Very good, very good. And that the song "House in the Hill." What was the inspiration for that? Well, for the for the lyrics, that was uh, that was Trevor, Uh, and and uh, and I put the the new music to it when we started doing with audience and it was on the very first audience album we did a sort of a a paler version of it that we then reworked on stage and it became much more powerful which is why we used it for the um for the house and hill album so then Um, just just very quickly on friends 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 and you've got a song which i actually I, i made a note about it saying that i thought it was Maybe maybe not in sound, but incredibly in style, very much House on the Hill. Uh, and I, I think I even mentioned uh-huh. to Trevor, um, my missus says it made her think of Station to Station um, a little bit. Uh-huh. Again, in, in structure, not in sound. And that's Priestess. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's, again, it's just another right. one of these songs that you come in with this very, uh, it's a formal structured song at the start. Again, very, very again, that wasn't, I mean, w- we worked on it musically, but me and Trevor weren't actually involved in the writing. That was that was Keith. Ah, that. now that makes yeah. so much sense. Did you now, have any? I don't think you had the involvement, no, did you, Trev? I didn't. No, it was a. Uh, uh, no, uh, neither of us did. Oh, uh-huh. they brought it to us, and we we arranged it all together. Maybe yeah. maybe those. Yeah. I think Tanya and uh, Tanya and Keith came up with two. Um, Raid was the other one. Um, right, oh, yeah, Raid, right, yeah. a priestess. Yeah, yes. I involved neither of those. I remember being really chuffed because we'd been responsible for most of the, the writing. Keith had got involved a few times, but Tony never had. And I remember being really no. chuffed that they came in with something of the standard of Raid in particular, which uh-huh. is a really interesting, yeah. song. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, to me, I, that reminded, it reminded me of family, actually. Definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, you know, there you go. I think family. Touch with the drums. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they had a similar sort of loping bass beat to as well as, as Weaver's yeah. answer. But um, interesting that because family, I think, of all the bands that were around at the time, if any of them had, yeah. any, if we were influenced by anybody at all in any significant way, I think it was probably family. Yeah. Very interesting. Wow. Family, possibly a little bit of traffic. Oh, traffic. Excellent stuff. Very interesting. But we all absorbed so much from one another in those days. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Trevor, what was the lyrical inspiration for House on the Hill? Uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Um, It was a story I'd read. I was a bit of an Edgar Allan Poe and Bram Stoker, uh, sort of gothic horror kind of reader in those days. I still still kind of like ghost stories a lot. Yeah. Um, And... uh, uh, I was influenced by that. Uh, I wrote it in a pub called the Red Cross Knight in Hollywood. <laughs> um, Back of a coaster. Uh, yeah, uh, over Guinness. And um, it, um, uh, it wasn't based on a story at all. It was just inspired by it. And as I, uh, the story, like most stories, kind of wrote itself as I went along. Fantastic. It turned into this other thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It, uh, yeah, Edgar Allan Poe, who interestingly went to the University of um, uh, 
so blimey. Um, Carolina? Where do we... Uh, no. Uh, uh-huh. What's the state starts with W in America? Wisconsin? No. <laughs> Wyoming? Washington? Uh, Wyoming? Uh, Winnipeg? Anyway, anyway, we played at, the, we played at that particular university... Oh. Um, so uh-huh. Rod Stewart tour, and he'd gone to that university. I didn't find that out till much later. So oh. we took our so Edgar Allan Poe had gone to that, yeah. Yeah, so we took the we took the um, Edgar Allan Poe inspired song back to Edgar Allan Poe's university. Fantastic! No way! That's brilliant. Oh, there you go. Brilliant! Here we are. That's uh, it's a brilliant. LP. We just we just love that LP. And um, before I was I was driving over here today, and I just put it on in, in the car, just on Spotify. Yeah, just uh, just. You know, you just want to keep playing it, don't you? Oh, well, I, I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah, we do. My, my <laughs> missus has probably not had to listen to this album or ever put it on. She walks around the house humming some of the songs. <laughs> and she, and I'm like, what have you been listening to? And she's like, nothing. And I'm like, yeah, what are you singing? I'm not. I'm like, yeah, you are. <laughs> and I'll tell you exactly what you're singing. And again, she's very much like myself. I think... Um, um, I had a dream really, really resonates there with her house on the hill uh, with a fat bass hook like that. And, oh, and that, I mean, wow. And the sax and everything on that is just incredible. Um, I know we spoke a bit about Keith a, a few minutes ago, but like how, how, how instrumental, sorry, that's a horrible pun, was Keith to the whole sound? Because he's, he's definitely got his standout moments and it's not as if anybody could really do the writing on his behalf. So I mean, was he just sort of like given free reign to to just do as? We, we all were, right? Well, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, we all, we, yes, it was, a, with, yeah, it was a pretty free I think when we came in with the song, whoever, whoever came in with the song um, threw it in the circle and everybody, you know, it organically grew from the four different uh-huh. people involved. Um, so we all had, yeah. we all had a, a big part to play in all in the creative process of everything. Nothing came in like uh, from any direction saying, Fully formed. this is how you're going to play it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It was always, yeah. you know, uh, everybody's very democratic kind of um, input. It's a testament to his talent as well. I mean, something about the guy seems to really, really stand out. I, I personally think he would probably replace anybody of his of his similar stature and outshine any single one of them. Anybody from Ian Anderson, from Jethro Tull, to anybody else that does anything he does. I I mean, I don't know. Do you guys realize? Did did you realize what you had with Keith at the time? I, I don't know that we probably even, not as much. We, we, I think what, probably not as much as do now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think so too. I think when we reformed, uh, there was an element. Um, Keith brought back a lot of uh, the the experience he'd had since the, the early days, uh, and he'd had since. And uh, to my mind, he'd become an absolutely amazing player. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, yeah. what he played before was a pale shadow of what he was capable of doing now. So I mean. You, yeah. you, have, you haven't really heard, apart from the occasional um, uh, tracks that I know are available on our fan site, which you, I know you've seen a few of. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's, noth- there's nothing really that sh- shows how good he became. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I was yeah. surprised. On the very last gig we did, I, he blew a blinder. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think it was almost like, um, uh, it, it sounds a bit strange, perhaps, but I think it was almost like he knew it was his swan song. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, 
I was I remember being on the stage playing something, I don't remember what it was, and hearing him playing at the other side of the stage and just thinking, Jesus Christ, this is good. Oh, <laughs> what a feeling. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, so, so, yes, indeed. Sadly missed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, indeed. No doubt. Um Actually, yeah, something else that's quite interesting that I found out that you guys did was, um, let's see, you used nylon strings on an electric guitar to create a very specific sound, is that well, right? Well, it, it, was, it, was it was an electric, it was an electric, but it was the first nylon electric uh, guitar in the country, actually. Oh. It, was, it was like a Spanish guitar uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, that had, had, elect, had a... It was amplified, and they hadn't existed before. So this guitar, I, I was actually looking for one because I did using nylon strung guitar at home. Yeah. So I didn't upset the neighbours, and I quite <laughs> liked the feel of it. So I was actually looking for for one, and it didn't exist until I walked past a, uh, a shop uh, near St Giles Circus in London, um, Baldwin's, uh, and there it was in the window. And I became the first person in the country to actually use one. And it was a great setup. Um, it's basically the pickup, which apparently was an offshoot from the US space program. And um, it involved uh, a stereo input on the guitar to a particular amp, which fed um, a voltage to the pickup and powered it. And uh, it, you know, there's, there's, since then, there's been loads of different ones. Well, I've got several different ones now, anyway, but that was the only one. Um, the only other people that seemed to play it were, were in America. Um, what's his name? Country guitarist. What's his name? Oh, uh, Willie Nelson. Yeah, Willie Nelson. Yeah, Willie Willie Nelson. He, he still plays it. Uh, and a few others did as well. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it was quite a rare, it was a rare thing. I and mean, today, I mean, I, I think it cost about hundred quid at the time, and I could I could probably sell it for several thousand now. Oh, Jesus! Yeah, yeah. It's almost but got I, like a bit of a fuzz box effect to it, no? Uh huh. Well, again, you see, I played it at high volume. Uh-huh, uh huh. And that wasn't necessarily the way most people would have played it, but I played it like an electric guitar in some ways. Yeah. Uh, so it played through a very loud amp I had at the time, uh, which was part of the system. The exterminator, wasn't uh, it? Yeah, the uh, what, uh, Baldwin Exterminator, this big amp. Wow. Love uh, that name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I used to play it up really quite, quite loud, so it used to sort of, get quite a gritty sound out of it. Um, nowadays, I'd play a, a, a Canadian um, Godin uh, electric nylon, which is also a lovely guitar. Very different, but that's a pretty good guitar. And there's several in between I've had. Yeah. So th- so they're much more common now. Yeah. They're common. I wouldn't touch them. They're so common. <laughs> <laughs> no longer you and fancy. There is another one. Yeah, that's out. There is another one in existence. Some thieving student, student from Cambridge University. Oh, that's right. He doesn't know what he's got. 
Oh, oh no. That, That's that, right, yeah. That first guitar was stolen from the side of the stage at, uh, while we were gigging in Cam- at Cambridge University. Oh, yeah, one of, the, one of the, I don't one of the he, Cambridge balls. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Think, I don't suppose he knew what he got at all. He probably just thought it was just an ordinary no. guitar and couldn't figure out why it didn't work properly. Oh, oh. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was such a... Oh. Oh. Every time, I, every time I go anywhere near Cambridge these days, I, my teeth clench. <laughs> <Even That's amazing. laughs> yeah, and that was over fi- and that was over fifty years ago. <laughs> oh man, it's still not oh, over it. Still looking, it's still looking. absolutely. Listen, guys, wonder because we done it. I was just going to say that the afternoon of that, we played at a free festival in Cambridge with um, family and David Bowie and a few others. Actually, wow. And you guys um, played at the same we festival? Yeah. Oh, yes. Jesus. It was like a little, it was just before Bowie really made it big. Yeah. 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 Was, um, not so long before, actually. It was about, um, no. Checked it out. It's only about seven weeks, I think, before Space Oddity went away. But ah, at that point, it, uh, right. It was, uh, Which again was. Because Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. 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 In fact, I remember us hearing it. We were playing down at the Pheasant Tree. And hearing it you know, being played uh, uh, over the PA, and we sang to the the producer we had at the time, which was uh, what was his name, Chris. Um, what was Chris Bruff. Chris Bruff? Yeah, Archie, Archie Andrews' son. <laughs> <laughs> now his dad was the uh, the radio ventriloquist. Ah, <laughs> oh, no way. Okay. You know, did Archie Andrews, yeah. Um, but we said to him, oh, this is the sort of thing we'd like to do. And it wasn't long after that that we actually uh, ended up contacting Gus and he turned our first album and liked what we were doing. And that was how we, con- we got in contact with Gus. Yeah, wow. And that was, that was the beginning of uh, a long relationship. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, either of you boy fans... Just a quick one. Again. Were either of you a Bowie um, fan? I'm a fan of some of his stuff, but one of you, I'm going to. obviously he was obviously really good at uh-huh, songwriting and uh-huh. recording, but I sort of I was never totally drawn to him. Mm-hmm. Although I appreciated some some of his stuff a lot. Yeah, I like the Station to Station album. Yeah, it's one of my favourites. Absolutely, and Low. Yeah, and low, right. but but uh, I, I, I don't know why why I wasn't. But no, I never talked to him either. Really. But um, interestingly, another mm. point here, another interesting connection. Uh-huh. Life uh-huh. on Mars, the TV series. Right. Yeah. Um, oh yes. There's two audience tracks on that. No. Yeah. Is there really? Yes. Including yeah. the Oh. Uh, I, was, I had a dream. Of this. Yeah, the big spell of I had a dream. Oh, oh. what? I'll well, watch that now. No, I had a dream. Is yeah, I had well, a dream. Was, I think it was on the, the seventh one. Ha. And uh, oh, the other one was near the beginning, the first or second, wasn't it? Um, of the series. Fantastic. Well, for I that believe. reason alone, I'll be watching them. I'll be watching that for that alone. Absolutely. The only well, reason I asked. Uh, 
interestingly enough, I can do you a bargain because um, uh, running this charity, what came in yesterday by the box set of Life on Mars, which I've got to sell as a fundraising item. Oh, ah! fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're not doing business. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The conspiracy thickens. That brings us to another question. Yeah. Um, is there any other things that you guys want our listeners to know about? Or, or is there any challenges you want to talk about? Is there any? Well, I want to show you something about Howard. It's all lies. <laughs> <laughs> well, people pay for lies, that's for sure. Well, the only, the only other thing I sort of, if, if people are interested, um, we did actually produce, I don't know if you're aware of it, we did actually do a live CD when we reformed. Kicking, oh. screaming, uh, shouting. Yeah. Indeed, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Alive and kicking, that. screaming and shouting. Out to that salon, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I, 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 I kind of like that. It's, um, it maybe falls down a little bit in production values here and there, but um, it's, uh, I think it did us quite proud, really. In, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we never did get around to recording, doing a live record, which was a shame back in the old days because we couldn't yeah. uh, something pretty powerful I think but yeah. um, I'm not unhappy with that one well that's good to know we, sh- we shall certainly yeah. ensure we, g- we become very familiar with that it's in my discogs basket <laughs> right it will be in my possession uh, very soon I have got a few here actually oh yeah that's fine if you feel like signing them and getting one to Trevor I'd, so I'd be delighted to stick it on my wall Look, they're only 80 quid each, so... You know. <laughs> Bargain. Are we getting some discount? Yeah, mates rates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. 78. We are, from Aber- <laughs> we are from Aberdeen, you know. We're meant to be the stingiest of the Scots. <laughs> the further true. north you go, the worse it gets. That's true, definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So listen, guys, uh, have you anything else you want to ask, Lee? Well, I mean, I was I was just going to ask the question. This is why I was asking about Bowie, because um, just looking at your lunch album, you've got a song called In Accord. And without me finishing the sentence, right. obviously you are both familiar that with that it. again. Uh, so on the album Lunch, you've got a song called yep. In Accord. Um, yes, and there that's was one another th- Trevor. Yeah, is that Trevor, is it? Well, it's funny how you another see... Trevor lyric. Yeah, well, it's uh, the sound of it. I know what you're going to say about on, dance, say it. really dance the blues, about dancing the blues and all that. Um, I was going to say... One sound- of Bowie's songs. Oh, yeah, All the Mad Men. Oh, uh-huh. I'm not, not familiar with that. Not familiar, don't read either. I, I, I forgot the name of it. All the Mad Men, yeah, his, isn't it? Is that from, from the man who sold the world? Oh yeah, well, that's early, wasn't it? That was yeah, that was quite early, wasn't it? The second album, yeah. G- give that a listen, um, and and because uh-huh. I mean, look, the lyrics in it are really romantic. Um, it, it's a beautiful uh-huh. song. I love the jazz influence as well. Certainly from the start, it tapers out. But um, I, I just remember sort of a question of myself. I wrote it down. I was like, "This is this is so all the mad men." Um, and I just wondered if you guys were either sort of either inspired by because it seemed like the time didn't make sense as well. I thought I thought that you guys were maybe sort of ahead of the game so effectively if your answer is as it is and it's basically the no, that Bowie was inspired by you guys well the only thing that I can uh-huh. think there was whether Gus somehow uh, uh-huh. whether there was some, something that came in via him of uh, course through his Bowie connection I don't know yeah uh, was that for uh, sorry 
I do know that one of the early Billboard um, books uh, talked about us being uh, an inspiration for later David Bowie and Roxy Music. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was that was their that was their take on us. Anyway, yeah, yeah that's that kind of backs you up, Lee. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Okay, now one <laughs> at least one stupid question I do want to ask, and 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 I've spoken to Trevor earlier, so I know that it's actually you, Howard. I need to ask. Go and just justify <laughs> the use of Toulouse Lautrec, please, please. Right. Right now, for anybody that's listening that doesn't know Audience's first album, Friends, 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 the title track, Friends, Friends, Friend, is uh, yeah. beyond mystical in the whole um, lyrics. Um, I previously it is. Asked, I, I think that was a. I think that was a co-written thing. So I, I think I wrote. I had a friend who had a friend who knew a man that didn't look unlike to lose the track. Yeah, yeah that's it. I that's think right. Trevor took it from there. Did you take it from there, Trev? I took it from those two lines and, uh, um, yeah. and, and brought in something that I thought was to do with the Pied Piper of Hamelin and didn't turn out to be right. play, um, as opposed to no. being of, uh, I've always thought as opposed to being the dark thing that Pied Piper of Hamelin was, yeah. disappearance of almost children. Right. This was kind of the opposite in that it took um, uh, uh, downtrodden people out of their blues and made them happy for a very short period of time. Uh-huh. For, for nobody, That's right. At all. And then they died. <laughs> no, but, but you say that. But that, that was actually my original question, whether that song was actually about the dancing mania, um, which started in the 7th century, oh, because I was asking Trevor. Oh, what, like? The, the dancing mania. What, like the uh, St. Vitus dance? Or, yeah, or well, you've, you've got a couple of cases Like the of it. Turkish, like the whirling dervishes. <laughs> uh, basically, dance till you drop. It was, it was, it was, it was a disease, um, right? Yeah. Sort of still to this day, I think they believe that it was linked to ergot, which is a a fungal mushroom linked oh, disease. Right. I think. Yeah. And um, there's several stories going back over time, even back to Paris and even the Salem witch trials. There's is a lot of strong. Right. Links. Yes, I vaguely remember reading about that. Myself. That's right. Yeah. And so the way when you when you listen to the lyrics of that song, and it is gorgeous, but it's that it's that that stood out. I'm like, well, hold on a second, because today if you Google to lose Law Trek, what you'll find out is yeah. that it's a syndrome. <laughs> it's it's a syndrome, oh, syndrome really? for brittle bones and facial abnormalities. Oh, um, oh right. And then you've also yes. got um, let's see, you've also got to lose Law Trek as an artist who painted at the Moulin Rouge. Uh, and the only That's other right, link indeed. that I got was the the Pan Piper, and I just wondered if it wasn't sort of the dance and mania because uh, I thought you guys had a bit of a fascination with 14th and 15th century, and there's a lot of links to a lot of the things that you got uh-huh. in, the, in the lyrics as well, and even in some of the sound. But good, just justify uh-huh. the use of that then make some yeah, sense of it all, for that me. That was all really um, that was all really part of the sort of 60s um, uh, thing to do with. Elves, goblins, knights in shining armor, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conflict and stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it was a hangover from that, I think. But other than that, I mean, the, the thing with that song, it wasn't originally a standalone song. We were trying at the time to write this pop opera, rock opera called The Bearded Lady. Oh, right. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so there were several songs associated with that. Only 
two of them actually came out as being any good, one being Friends, Friends, Friend, and the other one, The Elixir of Youth, which we didn't put on an album until, I think, a compilation, didn't we? Did we, or was it on lunch? Yeah, that's right, yes. Or was it No, on it was on lunch. It was, no, it was, it was, no, it was on the com- it was on, um, yeah. what's it called? Uh, you Can't Beat Them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was supposed to be, have been part of this thing, which I... I can't remember quite what we were doing, but I think in my mind we were doing something that was kind of loosely based on something like um, Ray Bradbury's Illustrated Man. Oh, okay. All oh, yeah. right, yeah. So I, I bought that not long ago, actually, on, on uh, DVD. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it was all kind yeah. of lots of little stories being brought up by this bearded lady. Um, in the same way as the illustrator. Right, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But we never really got anywhere with it. It was a bit of a blind no. eye. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she had, she had a shave in the end. So that was the end of that. And then maybe just one more question then. I mean, um, the other thing that you did that's quite standout is, is you did a whole score, you did a whole soundtrack for a movie, Bronco Bullfrog. Mm. Yes, it did. Yeah, Which, that was early on, actually. Well, yeah. the film did really well, and 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 obviously good, um, good, went very well received in Cannes, and it won awards there. So, how did that? Come right, about? yeah, weird. Yeah, well, yes, it is. I suppose that was actually through our Massive. manager at the time, I believe. He, okay, he he, um, he made the contact somehow. So I don't know quite how that came about, but that was that was it really. And uh, we got involved with the director. Barney Platts Mills, um, he got us in. He, he had the film, and then he told us the parts that he wanted some music put to. So he did. Me and Trevor wrote two um, sort of theme tunes for it, and then there was like, it was quite difficult actually, as I remember. We had, you yeah. know, I want I want seventeen seconds just here. Yeah. And so we did all these little bits and parts yeah. and they just whacked it all together. Yeah. Amazing. We found it quite funny uh, at the time. Uh, we, we did get one stroke of luck with it in that we'd already got It Brings a Tear as, uh, in the repertoire and that just fitted right. the, the film. Yeah, so we, yeah. We had, we That's had, right. And I think we only, had, we only wrote one other song. Uh, yeah, Down at the Station, that one. The Going Song, yeah. The, the Going Song, yeah. Uh, yes, all this incidental music, which we uh, we pilfered from various things, including <laughs> a, a version of uh, 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 some bits of ravioli. I think ended up in there. Oh, and, um, oh right, yes, yeah. And, and bits of ravioli, there's a bit of spaghetti bolognese there as well. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there was something you rather unashamedly put in there that was nicked off uh, Cat Stevens. I love my dog as well. Do no way. Oh, right. <laughs> there was all sorts of bits and bobs that made it all up. Um, uh, but I, yeah. as a whole, it holds up, providing you don't um, uh, dig too deeply into the plot. <laughs> ah, well, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's mostly about cakes. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. cakes. You've got cakes. I remember that. Yeah. Stuff. Well, if there's one thing that you guys have proven, it's that you've got a sense of humour. Um, also, you have mentioned Trevor. You just mentioned sort of your manager at the time. I think it would be really harsh to 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 leave today without even just making a quick mention to 
whatever this man is to you guys just now, but basically it's the man that I've got to thank for for, for making this happen today as well as Mike. Um, without it, you know, we, we wouldn't have, 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 have gotten to where we are today. Although I don't want you guys to get all too happy about Mike just now because he has no. given me a little tidbit that I would like to ask about. And I don't know if this is right. in your favour. Before you go down that road, can we just uh-huh. point out he's a charlatan? <laughs> if there was a time to point out, it's probably best to do it now. Um, there's something that just almost doesn't, almost doesn't fit and I can't visualise. But, Mike, and I am sorry, buddy, but this one's coming out. I got, I, you guys did a BBC radio session. Right. Uh-huh. We did a couple, actually. Yeah, apparently did you did two. two. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. yeah. What, did, what, you know, what were you wearing, guys? What were you wearing for that session? <laughs> well, both of those were on Halloween night. Uh-huh. Well, that's what that, I know. I don't know what you were wearing. I know that Mike was referred to as the ghoul in the corner all night. Um, but uh, that would be me in my purple wig. Was that you, was it? Yes. Yes. I was dressed in civvies. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of uh, Halloween. <laughs> I was led to believe he made you guys dress up. Uh no, was, I don't think he did. I, I think, think they were quite willing, actually. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was that all about then, guys? What was that all about, dressing up for a, for, for a radio session that nobody was going to see? I, I think it was just for a laugh, really, that's all. It was uh, going inside. If it had been Christmas, we'd have come in Santa, Santa outfits. We weren't fussy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like us. We've got faces for the radio, haven't we? Oh, definitely, absolutely. Nate yeah. for a record shop, yeah. though. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you okay? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we are delighted with the contribution you guys have, have made, and thank you so much for going to all that trouble for uh, joining in. And it's it's very important to us because we've told so many people about you that we know that we're going to get uh-huh. into this uh, podcast when it goes out. But we're just very very happy that this actually happened. Yeah, going back to very months grateful. Ago saying, wouldn't it be great if we got these guys and we just all thought, of this was just might... a pipe dream? Yeah, yeah, it was just you didn't have to go to some for you. I just let you know that, that we've actually got nothing to do with the audience, we're just two imposters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just Dave and Charlie down the road. Dave, that English accent's rubbish, by yeah. the way. Um, no, this means a, a hell of a lot to us guys. I don't know if either of you have any one last final thing you'd like to, uh, anything maybe you'd like to dig up or undrudge or anything. Well, well, in the words of WC Phil's, when he was standing in front of a, a, a firing squad, when he was after to get any final request, he says, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of Paris before I go. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, we're in lockdown and uh, the travel's restricted at the moment. Oh, right. Full apologies. <laughs> Try and book your private flight. <laughs> For next time. For next time. <laughs> Maybe next year. <laughs> we'll meet you there. That's what we'll do. We'll do the next okay. podcast. Yeah, there. definitely. Absolutely. Open up our Paris branch. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Oh, guys. Right, guys. Well, okay, yeah. well, thanks a lot. No, yeah, it's thanks been an so much, guys. Pleasure. Really appreciate you it. Both. It means a lot to us. Thank you so much. Uh, pleasure, pleasure. Nice one. Thanks again, Trevor. Guys. Howard, absolute delight. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, we wish you nothing but the very, very best. Thank you. Uh, you too. You take care, all guys. Right. Okay, all thanks the very again. best now. Cheers.
Cheers, Ed. Bye-bye. 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 Wow, that was absolutely amazing. That was the one we really, really wanted. Due to the great story that you all heard there about the record in the shop, and actually to have these guys who played on that record, who wrote that record, actually on our podcast, that was absolutely brilliant. I must thank Young Lee for that because he got in touch with them. And uh, yeah, as you heard on the show, he got it all organised and these guys were just absolutely delighted to be here and we were delighted to have them. Absolutely fantastic guys. That's Trevor Williams and Howard Worth from Audience. Well then, vinylers and vinylettes, thank you so much for tuning into the show. It's been a pleasure to host the show with my comrade here, Lee. And we look forward to catching up with you guys again at the end of next month, the last Friday of next month, in fact. And don't forget, it's the last Friday of every month that we do the Aberdeen Vinyl Record Podcast. Until the next time, keep flipping that vinyl. Wax on. Wax off.